All right. Some great, great questions in the show tonight. The first was, well, what are the consequences of this high youth unemployment and disengagement within Western countries, uh, specifically areas like Greece, in the midst of this horrendous financial crisis? And uh, alienation of the young and the lack of gathering of particular work skills is a huge issue. It's going to have big ramifications in the future. We had a great chat about that. And the second caller uh, was saying, as a resident of Europe, seeing that most politicians want to maintain this illogical established system with influx of migrants from countries with largely incompatible cultures, is it ethical to abandon ship? Is it ethical for me, he asked, to leave Europe? And uh, that is a very big question. When do you bail and when do you turn and fight intellectually for the culture that you value? And it's a delicate balance. So we had a good chat about that. Third caller, I see evidence and believe that society is heading for disaster, and I expect it to be inevitable. I think it would be a consequence of the decisions made by our society and that our only hope for species survival is rebuilding the fundamentals once the dust settles. So he was asking me, do I think society is heading for collapse? So we passed the point of no return. What can we do to change our fate? And I was full-on cheerleader mode in this one. I hope you'll find it empowering and energizing. I certainly did couldn't sleep for four days. So uh, without any further ado, let's get started with this great show. Thanks again, as always, to the listeners, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out, fdrurl.com slash Amazon if you would like to use our affiliate link, which costs you nothing and helps us out quite a bit. So let's get started. All right. Well, up is Giannis. He wrote in and said, what are the consequences of high youth unemployment and disengagement within Western countries, specifically areas like Greece? which are in the midst of a horrendous financial crisis. And Giannis lives in Greece, so he's got some skin in the game when it comes to this question. Go ahead, Giannis. Uh, yes, hello. Hi, how you doing? Can you hear me? Um, I am fine, thank you. Uh, uh, you, live, you live in Greece at the moment, right? Yes, of course. I'm from Greece. I'm Greek, <laughs> also. Ah, nice um, to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. And um, actually, I heard one of your videos about the fall of Greece. And it was really interesting because I think that uh, you you were you were saying the truth about this uh, this matters about what's happening in Greece right now and uh, in Europe as a whole. And uh, I just wanted to say that uh, we are facing problems that. Uh, uh, now are beyond uh, beyond our abilities to to find uh, a solution. You know, we, we have so many people unemployed. I'm 29 years old, and uh, guys like me, actually, the 50 percent of uh, people uh, 28, 29 years old are unemployed, and <laughs> we don't have a future here. That's uh, I think the biggest problem now in. In countries uh, like Greece and uh, in South uh, South European countries, and uh, there there is no solution. You, you know, can't uh, uh, the European economy is a planned economy? They just uh, give us money, we spend them, and uh, that's it. There, there, there is no some exit to that. Right. And uh, yes, I wanted to know your opinion about uh, this matter. If there is a natural solution to this problem of unemployment. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the great tragedy, of course, in uh, Greece, as in other countries, is that um, generally the government puts a lot of legal impediments in the way of people who want to work. Right. I mean, you've got to be part of a union or you've got to have a license. Uh, you've got to have ridiculous levels of education. Um, and uh, it is really uh, you've got to comply with huge numbers of regulations. And it really does put a it's like it's like watching young people in Europe is like watching a great sprinter trying to win a race underwater. I, I, no matter when I was a kid, I used to try running underwater because, you know, you see it occasionally in Aquaman and uh, you can't do it. You, you can't run underwater. You can make a lot of bubbles. <laughs> you can make a lot of swirlies, but you can't get anywhere. And, th and that's, to me, the, the potential of, of the young in Europe has always been one of the great treasures of the planet. And as you say, young people is 50% uh, unemployment. And um, it is a, a great tragedy. I mean, I, I remember when I graduated in the early 90s, there was a terrible recession in Canada. I couldn't, mm. couldn't even get a job as a waiter. And um, that's one of the reasons. I worked for a year. I went back, did my master's. And they say that people who graduate in a recession actually have lower earnings through the rest of their lives. And I was thinking about your question today. Um, I got my first job when I was 10. Uh, I, was, um, I was painting little plaques for the 25th Jubilee mm. uh, for the Queen, Queen Elizabeth or whatever, and 25 oh. years in, in power. And then I got a job when I was 11 when we came to Canada, worked in a, in a bookstore. And um, then I got jobs as a, I was cleaning offices. I was a waiter. I got lots of different, I, I cleaned. I even had a job with a friend of mine where we would go to this woman who had big hairy dogs and we would clean her carpets of all the dog hair from top to bottom in her house. Not, not the most enjoyable job I've ever had, but she, she paid well. And um, what's your employment history been Yanis, what, what has it been like for you? Um, have you had many jobs um, and, and uh, what, what, how long did they last? No, I didn't have many jobs. Actually, I was uh, living in London for uh, one, uh, one year and a half, three years ago. And uh, I actually, I, I, I could find a job there, you know, as a waiter in McDonald's. No, not something special because, you know, I studied something that uh, it's not so valuable in the free market and um, it was difficult for me to find uh, a good job but uh, I regretted that I came back to Greece because I think that I uh, would have more opportunities there and uh, I see now I wanted to get back to my country to try again to find something here but uh, it's actually it's impossible <laughs> Actually, it's better for uh, for some immigrants from Syria who come to Europe and they give them money or shelter. And, uh, it's, for, it's more difficult for us who are, the, you know, the native people. We are Greeks and we live here and it's, it's for di more difficult. And what are, you, what are you living on? I live with my parents. <laughs> Right. Yes. Yeah, there's this consumption of accumulated capital that is occurring in Europe at the moment. And it's happening, I think, even more rapidly in America. We're kind of eating our seed crop, right? So um, you're living with your parents, but the likelihood is not that your children will be able to live with you. So people are sort of subsidizing their lifestyle by living with their parents uh, or borrowing from their parents and so on. 
that's of course not how society, society is supposed to work, right? I mean, you're not supposed yeah, to stay at uh, home forever. Yes, yeah, uh, and there is, of course. Yeah. So, so there is this kind of consumption, this staving off change in society by consuming the existing capital of prior generations. So you're living off your parents' savings and their, your parents' income and your parents' investment in, in housing and so on. And uh, that's an unsustainable situation that is called eating your seed crop, right? Well, I believe that, yes, uh, you are totally right. Actually, we live um, on my father's pension <laughs> because, uh, you know, he has a good pension. And, um, you know, my mother works, he, he, she has a private school, a, a small private school. We have uh, small private schools here in Greece. They, we are calling them Frontisterio. And, um, but actually the, the school is not going so well. Is your, uh, is your father's pension a government pension? Yes, it's, uh, yes, it's a government pension, yes. And did he have a government job? Yes, he was uh, a teacher. A what? Teacher. Oh, he was a teacher. 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 Okay. Yes. Okay. My mother. Is yeah. So one of the reasons one of the reasons you you have to live at home is because your father got very well paid, had lots of benefits, and now has a big pension, right? So which means that all the money is being devoted to that, rather than being available to create jobs for people like yourself. Yes, but actually, my father, when he was in uh, when he was working. Uh, as a teacher, he was giving some money in the state for, you know, for the pension, the future pension. Well, yeah, but, yes, but so uh, what? I mean, he was being paid by the state and the state was taking back some money, but that money's all gone. He wasn't giving money to the government so they could put it in a big lockbox for him to have later. Yeah. He gave money back to the government. They spent it to buy more votes. And now they have to tax people who might otherwise have created jobs for you and your friends to give to your father. Actually, you have mentioned you have mentioned the the eighties when Pasoko was in the government, the socialists, and uh, actually they, they have destroyed Greece. They have destroyed the economy of Greece. And, no, 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 yeah. no, yes. no! But, it's not them. It's people like your father, because the politicians don't have the power to just up and destroy an economy. What they do is they offer people stuff for free, and if people take it... Yes, but, but, but actually my father didn't vote for uh, the socialists. But That's he the took the benefits. Uh, okay, And yes. he's still <laughs> taking the benefits. I'm not trying to set you at odds with your father. I mean, I'm not, yeah, because yeah, this yeah, is I a big understand. generational problem. Yes, I understand what you mean. Yes. But your father was overpaid as a teacher. Yes. Right. He, I assume he made a fairly decent living, plus benefits, plus pensions, plus plus. Right. And he gets summers off. Right. Uh, yes. M- most people who were working for the government, they were overpaid. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Right. So, so he made a lot of money, and uh, he got summers off, and he got a lot of benefits, and he got a lot of free health care, and now he's getting a pretty good pension. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, you have no future as the result of millions of people making the same decision that your father did. I'm not saying your father's a bad guy. I mean, it's really, really hard for people to resist free stuff. And, and if the government says, I'm going to pay you 20% more, there's very few people who will say, okay, I'll quit, because that okay, sounds yes. unjust and unfair. 
but it was the collective decision to take all of the free stuff. Did your father teach math by chance? No. <laughs> he, is he, he is he math literate? Like he he doesn't have to take off his shoes to count to twenty, right? He he is math literate. Yes. <laughs> okay. So he knew he knew that the government was spending much more than it took in in taxes, right? I think yeah, he knew it. Okay, so he knew that the government was taking a lot more in than it was uh, spending a lot more than it was taking in in taxes. Mm. So he knew that the system was unsustainable, right? I think that everyone knew that. <laughs> that of course, yeah. yeah. And we, we, and in Greece, isn't there a big thing of like, well, I could give you a receipt, wink, wink, or maybe I could just get paid in cash and I won't give you a receipt? Isn't there a lot of tax evasion in Greece? Uh, actually, there's a lot of, uh, how can I say it, a black economy. <laughs> yeah, black market, which black is the same market. thing. Yes, yes, yeah. black yeah. market. That's true. Yeah. So Greeks want a lot of free stuff from the government, but don't want to pay taxes to support it, and then complain when they have a lot of debt. Yes, but now the taxes are so, you know, high. Very high, yes. For example, my, but, my, my, but that's what happens when you get into debt, right? I mean, if I put $50,000 on my visa, I don't even think I could, but if I put $50,000 on five credit cards and then I complain that I seem to have to pay a lot in interest, um, would anyone have really a lot of sympathy for me? Mm, well, yes, uh, you're right, yes. I agree with that. I mean, this is what's so strange is that, and this is not just Greece. I mean, obviously, this is everywhere. But the Greeks, um, I mean, did anyone know that the Greek government lied and defrauded the Europeans to get I, into I, the EU? I think I think that the Europeans knew about that. That's a but did the Greeks know about it? Uh, what? Or did they think that the uh, prime minister was, was very honest? I don't know what the, the, the Greeks uh, uh, knew about. Actually, I I remember when uh, I was in Athens. I was living in Athens during the Olympic Games. I was uh, 18 years old with a friend of mine. And I asked him, we asked each other, where did we find this this money to make the Olympic Games? It's, uh, we, we'll have to pay them back. And he said to me, yes, you are right. So we knew about these uh, things. Everyone knew about it. And uh, no one cared about it. That, that was a problem. Right. So, <laughs> it so was Greeks like, will, crazy. Yes, it yeah, was Greeks crazy. will get really angry and, and riot in the streets and set fire to things and turn over cars when they have to pay back the money they borrowed. But they won't get very angry at a government that just keeps overspending. Right, Because Greeks could have gone out and protested in the streets and said, no, no, you're selling off our children's future. This debt is unsustainable. We, we can't go on. Uh, this is not right. Uh, this is uh, selling off our children's future. We love our children. We don't want to leave them with this kind of debt. But no, they're all out there cheering and waving their flags. Yay, the Olympics have returned. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yes. Along with the Turks called debt, right? I know. It was and totally so, ridiculous. Yes, we knew about it. Right, that. but nobody was protesting against it. They're all having a great time. 
And so you have the party and then you have the hangover. And so now I'm just giving you the view from outside. And, yeah. and trust me, I'm as frustrated with every country in the world that does this. I'm not trying to pick on Greece. And for those no, who no. want, we have the Truth About Greece presentation, which we'll link below. People should really, really watch this just to see how this, uh, this came to be. Yes. But everyone knew. Everyone, everyone knew that this was going to be a complete, this was going to end in tears. And now that it is ending in tears, I don't know. Are people like pretending to be surprised? Um, the problem is that the, the Europeans knew it also. They, they knew that Greece, uh, actually they knew that Greece shouldn't leave the drachma go to the Euro. They, 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 knew, they knew that it was a mistake. But I'd well know, did they? How do you know? I mean, because the, the, the Goldman Sachs and the Greek government did a pretty good job of hiding government spending and government debt. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they had to, these were, these were the books that they were given, right? When this, this fraud scheme was cooked up to get Greece into the, um, into the euro. Yes, and, and, and you said that it is better for us now to, to leave the euro. Well, no, but what I'm saying is that yes. I don't know that the Europeans knew that the ah, Greek government, in ah. conjunction with Goldman Sachs, were lying to them about the level of spending and debt. Because ah. there was a, a rule, right? You could only have a certain amount of debt, and then you could get into the euro, and the Greek government just lied about it and defrauded everyone. Oh. Let me just add, too, that the mere expectation that Greece was going to be allowed into the euro actually gave them better interest rates to borrow against, which decreased the amount of debt that they had on paper, because the expectation was the risk would be deferred against all of Europe because, of course, yeah. Greece is going to get into the euro. So it became just a negative feedback loop, which was a huge problem, but go on. And, and when the Greeks got, like, Andreas Papa, Papa Andreo. Papa Andreo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had corruption scandals, like he couldn't sneeze without hitting a corruption scandal but, uh, 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 looming around him. He basically lived in this Alice in Wonderland land. And so when... And the op opposing group tried to put the brakes on some of the government spending. All the Greek people voted Papandreou back into power so that he could keep the party going. I mean, mm -hmm. it, when reality loomed even a little bit, a lot of the Greeks just kind of went the other way. Let's go back to the people who are giving us all the free ouzo that we want because I'm sure our livers won't mind in 10 years. Do you mean about uh, Andreas Papandreou or his son, Yorgos? Because we had uh, two prime ministers, Papandre, we had the father and the son. <laughs> it's the father, I think the it was father. the guy in the 90s. Yes. Oh. Uh, they, yeah, so the, the opposition got into power, tried to cut back some spending, and, and everyone's like, oh, let's get Andreas Papandreou in, because he doesn't stop the party. He's just an eternal boombox of eight-track repetition. So mm -hmm. when somebody tried to bring some sense and reason to the Greek population, they Actually, all... Yes, crazy. Uh, Yes, you, you are right. Actually, I think that Andreas Papandreou, in his last days, he knew about the debt and um, uh, he had the finance uh, minister who, who wanted uh, austerity. But, uh, but he, he, he knew about the debt. He knew that uh, his uh, financial uh, administration was, uh, was leading to, to this failure, to this current failure. Yeah, it was in the early 90s, right? So over 20 early years 90s, ago, yes. yeah, the opposition got into power and tried to cut back some of the crazy spending. Mm. And then Papandreou said, hey, elect me, I'll bring back the good old days of the oh. 80s. And everyone was like, yay! And October 10th, 93, they all voted back 
voted him back in power. That's why I'm uh, frustrated, you know, because the Greeks, uh, they still think that we will go back in these great days of the 80s. And I'm totally frustrated. They they can't understand that uh, these times are different, that we have to make um, uh, changes in our economy. For example, uh, even the the government, the the new democracy, which uh, is... uh, with free market policies and all that stuff, they, they don't want to make privatization and stuff like that. They, they just don't want because they knew they know that uh, the guys who vote for them are working for the government, so they, they don't want to privatize anything. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't quite understand. They want to privatize who's working for the government? <laughs> many, many Greeks who vote for the the new democracy, for example, which is the, the not the leftists, the right government. Uh, right. Yes. The, oh, they want to privatize, give stuff to their friends, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Sure. I mean, that's how it. That's how it went down in Russia. That's how generally privatization is generally a cut rates fire sale for your buddies for sure i mean but what 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 do people think that that's politics? What do people think the alternatives are? I don't think there is an alternative. Yeah. People, people, most people uh, want to go back to the eighties, just like you said before. They don't. Well, they can. They can. <laughs> they can do better than the eighties, but not by thinking that the government can borrow and spend their way into prosperity. They have to give up that delusion. They have to remember some basic math, and that if you go into debt, there's a price to be paid. Debt is a wonderful instrument in the hands of, of the productive and it's slow suicide in the hands of the deluded. Uh, that is the, the basic nature of debt. It is your greatest friend or your worst enemy. Yes. And um, th- But to me, looking at, at, at Greek people is, at the moment is like looking back to guys who barely survived cocaine binges in the 1980s and now whose health is shot, and they're like, man, I wish we could just score some more coke. Everything would be great. And it's like, can you not learn, for God's sakes, people? Um, what? So what's the best policy, for example? Is the best policy to go out from the euro to return to drachma and to make uh, privatization and uh, free market reforms? Well, I mean, I, I'm a big one for moral responsibility. I mean, you weren't voting in 92, right? Well, what? No. You, you weren't voting in 92, right? No. Your father's generation was voting yes, in 92. Yes, yes. And so to me, the responsibility is if you were around when this stuff was going on, you don't get the benefits. Because you voted for things that didn't exist. Your father's pension, sadly, and I'm sorry that this is the way it is, but this is the way it is. Your father's pension is coming out of your future. Mm. Because your father receives his pension from money that he never paid for in taxes. Right, so he's receiving, he's on the receiving end of stolen goods. And this is true for not just Greece, this is true pretty much the world over. 
when it comes to old age pensions. And uh, like in the U.S., there's like over $180 trillion of unfunded liabilities. That's like more than 10 times the national debt and much more than 10 times the GDP of 14 or $15 trillion. So everyone's and, – and the people in, in, in the U.S. On, who are getting government health care in their old age are getting more than 300% more out than what they paid in. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, I get It's a lot of fun. And your dad yeah. had summers off and he had lots of money and he could never get fired. He had job security. He lived in a delusional world funded by your future. Mm. So to me, if there is a price to be paid, the people who were responsible for the government at the time, which is not the young, they are the ones who need to be held accountable. Now, people will say, well, I didn't vote for him. <laughs> of course, everyone's going to say that. Who cares, right? Who cares? You live in a system where you adhere to majority rule. And the question is not fundamentally, did you vote for him? The question is, did you speak out publicly and repeatedly against these delusions? Did your father challenge people? Did he say, this is unsustainable? We can't keep doing this. We have to change. Did he put himself out there? Did he write letters to the editor? Did he get anything done? Did he, did he have a blog, for God's sakes? He had all summer off. He could have taken the time to write some stuff that would have enlightened some people. Did he teach his, his students, you're living in a delusional world. You need to really work on your human capital because this situation is completely unsustainable. Well, I don't well, like it, but I'm sorry for it. Right? So did yes. he actually – and none of these you will go to jail for. I'm not talking about doing anything illegal. I'm talking about exercising your right of free speech and resistance to the delusion of crowds. No, no one did that stuff because uh, – Okay, then, then they shouldn't get their pensions. Yes, and uh, now they – Because lo- they're complicit. Now they, they, the government started to, to lower these pensions. Yeah, to claw them back, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and that's a shame, you know, but um, it's certainly not your fault now. They I cut, mean, there's stuff now, that you can now do. Now they but, cut sorry? back these Now they diminish their pensions. They, they, they decrease them. Yes. Right, and the people should be cheering that. Yeah. <laughs> No one is cheering. Most of young people, they go, you know, they they just uh, emigrate. They go to other countries. I have friends who who were electrical engineers and they decided to to leave from Greece. Sure. The, the the scientists, the people who have studied something valuable, they 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 can't live here, and that's a that's a shame. Oh, that's a yeah. Can you count to twelve? You're out of there because, right? Yeah, something so, like that. Yes, that's true. And I don't see a future. And I feel very bad because uh, I, I love my country, but I, I, I can't understand what future we will have. You know, the, there is no future. That's the problem. There is no future. For there is that. a future. No, the internet has made truth telling a profitable occupation for the first time in human history. Mm-hmm. Right. I can I can make a living telling the truth that otherwise would be never heard by people. So you can make a living telling the truth to Greek people. My Greek is terrible, (laughs) and so uh, so you can make you can make a living telling the truth to Greek people. I don't know. The future. Sorry. Go ahead. uh, Sorry. Go on. Well, but this is the opportunity, is that Mm. people are so hungry 
for the truth. People have been living in such a psychosis. Literally, I don't say that lightly. People have been inhabiting such a psychosis of delusion for at least the past half century, since the 60s, for sure. They've been living in this artificial, manufactured brain of a crazy person unreality. They live in the delusional world. Yeah. Now, (laughs) some delusion is great. Some belief in in things that you can achieve without proof, great. You know, Mm -hmm. if you believe you can run a four-minute mile, you might. If you don't, you won't. Right. So some delusion, so to speak, some is is great, you know, but it's a balance, people. You gotta have some delusion. Not all delusion. Man cannot live by bread alone. The human beings cannot function by fantasy alone. Fantasy is great, good for imagination, good for projecting yourself into future states of being that you can work to achieve. You visualize yourself at the top of the cliff, you'll get to the top of the cliff, probably, hopefully. And so what's happened is 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 society as a whole, we've drifted. And, and been pushed and been bribed so far with these little government croutons leading us deep into the woods of delusion, we have swayed so far from reality that people think, well, we're never coming back. It's sort of the root of some of my hostility towards the last corner. Oh, we're never coming back. We're, no, no. Human beings, like nature, like, like the planet as a whole, have a bounce back that's very strong. Human beings are a pendulum. It's the only way that evolution can work. It's the only way that anything can be sustainable. More CO2, more plant food, less CO2, right? This is the way that it works. So there is an Aristotelian mean, a middle point. Yes. And so if if you pull people too far one way or the other, pressure builds up, and then they, they need to get back to the middle, the middle ground between imagination and reality. All reality, we're just a protozoa looking for stuff to eat and screw. So we need some imagination. We need some of the wonderful power of of projection and fantasy and all that. But if we go too far, then there's a pressure that needs – we need to come back. We've got to come back. And and if we never had that, we never would have made it as a species. Otherwise, we all would have sat in lotus positions uh, chewing – opiates until we die, right? I mean, there is, we freak out when we get too far from reality and we get bored when we get too close to reality. So we've got to live in the middle. So we're so far off that there's a huge hunger. Uh, it's an unconscious reservoir of built-up demand for truth and reality. I don't know if I am the guy, you know, if I am capable to do that kind of job. You know, I haven't, I don't know so much about economics about reality stuff actually i have studied something very different (laughs) i know what you studied i know what you studied but i don't care i don't care if you don't feel like you're up to the task the task is needed you understand yes you know if your kid is drowning well i don't know if i'm going to be able to swim that far you try so you you maintain that we have to to enlighten people so, well, yes, because in, yes, the past, in the past, telling the truth would generally get you ostracized or killed, which is why it's pretty rare for there to be truth tellers around. I, I think that is any same, society yes. that regularly killed all the truth tellers drifted off into a fantasy of nothingness. And so truth tellers still erupt and emerge. They're like the random gene in the social body. Truth tellers still erupt and emerge, and they're designed to guide people back to the shore out from the ocean fog of fantasy. 
And societies which killed all their truth tellers just drifted off into nothingness and, and were conquered because they, they'd never had any pragmatism whatsoever. And so <clears throat> generally people have a very uneasy relationship with truth tellers. You know, society's relationship with truth tellers is like a two-year-old's relationship to getting a needle at the doctor's. It's like, I guess at some level they've told me that it's necessary, but I'm still going to kick and scream when that needle comes down. And so in the past, being a truth teller was a highly dangerous occupation. But now, in the present, being a truth teller is as simple as a microphone and an upload. And you can actually survive and, and you can make a living telling the truth to people. That's how crazy hungry people are for the truth, that they will send you donations. They will help you to tell the truth because we've driven so far, we'll pay. You know, yeah, a guy right. who hasn't had sex in 20 years will say, take my right arm, just give me a blowjob, right? <laughs> and, and people who've been 50 years lied to, who've been half a century deluded, have become like people lost in a desert, they will run to any mirage in the hopes that it's an oasis. Yes, so they become uh, so hungry for truth that they're desperate for truth. And they will pay a truth teller and support a truth teller like myself and like lots of other people out there. So what can you do? What's the best policy? The best policy is to go out to people and just keep reminding them. You know, people need to hear things literally 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 times until it sinks in, particularly if they're prejudiced against it, right? So yes. if you could say, in, tell, me, tell me this in Greek. <laughs> what, is these, what is this sentence in Greek? Stop complaining, you asked for it. Cool. Ah. You meant to tell them, to tell them that in, in Greek? Yes. Μη παραπονιέστε για αυτό το ζητήσατε. All right. Yeah. That's the name of your new show. Stop complaining. You asked for it. Right? And, and this, you can make a living at this. You can make a living at this. People will pay you for the truth because the truth is nutrition for the deep mind of the species. To say the truth, you know, they actually had uh, such an idea, but um, actually I wanted to make some videos, but to talk about different matters, because, um, you know, Greece is a special country, you know, have some things which are very different from other European countries, it's a different reality. <laughs> For example, uh, do you know that now, now here in Greece we have uh, capital control as a country? <laughs> yes. And for example, the, the government issued uh, something, uh, they, they exempt the church from the capital control. We have an official church here in Greece. You know, the, the government, yeah. for example, pays priests, pays these guys, and we have an official church. And, you know, I can't, uh, I, for example, I can't buy a ticket to go to Netherlands or United Kingdom because we have capital control, but they, they exempt uh, the church. And, uh, you know, the, the, these things are unjustified. This is not uh, justice. Not, Wait, why can't you buy, why can't, you can buy an airline ticket to go to other places, right? You just can't I, take a lot of I, money. I think, I think that I, uh, I asked you about that. I cannot, I cannot buy an airline ticket from, um, uh, from internet. You know, for example, I cannot... Um, oh, because the internet company might be located outside yes, of Greece and yes, money would go outside. Yes, okay, yes. but you can go to a travel. They're not like closing down the borders or anything, right? No. Just go to Syria. 
go to Syria, get a tan, and wander in with all of the other young men. Anyway, <laughs> come back. So, yeah, that's my suggestion in terms of what to do. you got a calling. And if you understand the truth and you want to speak passionately uh, about the truth, uh, then um, you can make a living at it. And um, we should all be incredibly grateful, those of us who are truth tellers and who are willing to stand up against the delusions of the mob, that we live in a place where we get uh, donations rather than get set on fire. That's a plus. <laughs> That's a big yeah. significant step forward in human society for those who want freedomainradio.com slash donate. But uh, that would be my suggestion. Start setting up a channel. You know, you can study up on this stuff. You're taking a master's. You're a smart guy. You can read up on this stuff and you can communicate it. And then you can go out into the free market and try and provide value to people by telling them the truth in a way that engages and entertains them well, and dig- annoys them. Yeah. I'm taking a master's in theology. I don't know who cares about theology now. And uh, Well, I don't. But uh, yes, and, and yeah. I don't. But but <laughs> theology is not what Greece needs right now. What Greece needs is a big wet fish slap upside the head of reality. I don't know if theology is really going to help you bring that to people. Yeah, uh, but no. um, in terms of the economic consequences of the decisions of your elders, yeah. Sorry. You know, you know what Jesus said. I have come to set father against son. And uh, I don't mean to do that, but that seems to be the reality of what's happened is. Uh, the Greeks uh, took a bunch of stuff for free at the expense of their kids, and uh, now the kids have to pay the price. And um, so I would um, uh, I would say to try and get as much truth and reality out to Greek people as possible. Once people know the truth, they generally make good decisions. But until they know the truth, telling them which decisions to make is pointless, because all you'll make them is your slave. You want people to be subject to the truth, not slaves to opinion. Teach people the truth, they will make good decisions. But if you tell people what, this is why I don't tell people what to do in this show. There's no point. I don't want them to substitute some prior authority with me. I have no authority to tell anyone what to do, and nobody should listen to me in terms of telling. So you say, what should I do? Go tell the truth. Yes, of course. Yes. All right. All right. If you do it, let us know. We'll help publicize what you got and uh, give you a good leg up, all right? Okay, thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate your call. Bye. Thanks. All right, up next is Stanley. Stanley wrote in and said, As a resident of Europe, seeing that most politicians want to maintain this illogical established system with influx of migrants from countries with largely incompatible cultures, is it ethical for me to leave Europe? This is provided that the current European culture is not really mine, and I follow the proper immigration process in the country of destination. That's from Stanley. Hi, Stanley. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you as well. So, Where do you want to go? So, Well, I'm not yet decided entirely. Um, I've been thinking about East Asian countries or possibly Russia, but... Like, Russia is Russia, so it's probably better to stay where I am right now, for now, because it's not that bad. I mean, I don't live in Germany, so... You know, I've got this whole big, what pisses me off about the migrant crisis video. It's I know, I, I, I watched views. it, and, and... And what did I say at the end? Stay and fight. Uh, yes, and that is what I'm going to do. I mean, again, I don't live in Germany, uh, so... It's not that bad. And I talk to people and tell them, no, no, really, no, please realize that you are the owners of this land right now. 
if someone wants to take it from you, they will have to take it by force. And a lot of people are just like, what? They want to come in? They can come in. I mean, yeah, I don't have a problem with migrants coming in, but if they come in for the welfare state and if there has to be affirmative action put in place for them to even get a job, sorry, but that's not how free market works. That's not how free society works. Yeah, close the welfare state, open the borders. Fantastic. Yeah, But exactly. You can't have both. Yeah. And Because if, if you live in a free society, then other people coming into your neighborhood does not initiate the use of force against you. But when people come in to take welfare, they're initiating the use of force against you. Exactly. Sorry. I mean, exactly. That's, just the way, when, that's the way it is. I mean, I, I don't know a lot of things about China, but I looked up on Wikipedia and the income tax in China is less by off the top of my head and probably wrong 10 to 20% than it is in the European Union, which like what I thought China was a communist statist, whatever country and Europe is a free market democracy. Well, apparently it isn't because some math says that if your income tax is too big, people just won't have enough money to spend, to invest and to put back into the free market. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, incompatible cultures, uh, oppositional cultures. Um, it's important to understand the differentiation between culture and ideology. And people always confuse these two. Culture is an aesthetic preference. So nobody's going to say if some, some guy from Germany comes in, they like this kind of dancing. Something with a later hose and a giant sausage, I'm sure. Someone from Scotland likes this kind of dancing where apparently they're dedicated to cutting the toes off spring-legged little girls, right. like the dancing of right. the square swords, right? Then, Nobody's going to say that that is foundational to anything, then, right? They like this kind of dancing. They like the, You like uh, Natasha Atlas, or you like the bagpipe choir of the doomed Scottish guards or something like that, right? Then in that case, I probably have to confess that I, in fact, have been confusing the two because like what I would, how I would see myself culturally, it is impossible for me to uh, borrow money just for consumption, which is what's been going on in the European Union for the last, let's say, 50 years, at least. Right, no, hang on. Let me, let me finish this thing before yeah, we go sorry, on to the next. Sorry. So when you bring in a different culture, that's enrichment. Great. You know, I mean, I love yeah, being exposed right, to new right. dance, new music, new food, new, new ways of being and so on. No problem. However, an ideology, that is quite different. So if you bring in a Russian, you get food so you can't shit for a week. Fantastic. You get vodka that makes your eyeballs burst into flames because it has pepper and oysters and shit in it. Fantastic. You get Dostoevsky. So you get to basically feel like it's raining in your heart for a week as you read a book. So you get wonderful things when people come in. However, if you get um, not just a Russian, but say Vladimir Lenin, <laughs> when he comes into your country, he is dedicated to overthrowing your system and enslaving you in a gulag. That's ideology. That's a little different from culture. And people say cultural enrichment. Okay, how much were the Romanovs culturally enriched by the Bolsheviks in 1917 when they were gunned down in the basement of a house? You know, how, how much was the cultural enrichment happening during the Kulaks who were killed off by the millions by the largely Jewish leadership of the early Communist Party, thus setting in effect horrible things in Germany? <laughs> When you get ideology in, that's different. If you're going to have a potluck dinner, fantastic. Everyone bring a different dish. Let's pick and choose and 
and bring our taste buds alive. That's lovely. However, don't invite a hitman who wants to kill you. That's not a potluck dinner. That's a shot luck dinner, as in good luck not getting shot. And so you have to look at the ideology of the people coming in to help with that culture. Who cares about culture? I like this TV show. You like that TV show. You like blues. I like, who cares? Nobody's got time to police that. And who wants to bother? However, when people come in who want to radically change your environment so that you're subject to them, well, that's a little different now, isn't it? It's the difference between inviting in someone to come and have dinner with you and be your friend and inviting in somebody who's going to kidnap you and hold you for a, for, for a ransom. These two are not the same things. And everybody tries to bring in hostile ideologies by pretending that anyone who doesn't like that is somehow against a different culture and they're like just freaked out by different dances. And it's ridiculous. It's not the reality at all. If you want people to be culturally open, if you want people to be ideologically open, then you need to invite people into your community who already believe in ideological openness. In other words, you have to bring people into your society who don't want to use the government to impose their crazy religious or political views on you. That's kind of important, right? A communist who comes in who says, well, you know, I'm just going to convince people one by one to be communists. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. You can waste your time. Who cares, right? Freedom of speech. However, a communist who comes in and says, yeah, my real goal is to take over your system politically and then impose communism on you. It's like, I think we're just a little bit beyond a polite conversation now because you're kind of bringing some big guns into the room. So, and this is the challenge. Sorry, go ahead. Then I can say that a part of my ideology is that there are certain things in practice, like free speech, like uh, democracy, like that when you want to be rich and have a certain amount of wealth, you have to go there and fight for it, not with guns, but with your work to actually get it. And when someone comes in and starts spreading these delusions about, well, you know, we all can get free stuff, then no, that just doesn't no, work. No, even, even the free stuff is not the major problem. It's um, that approximately 12 billion quintillion dillion quill as my daughter would say europeans died horrible grubby bloody fiery revolting hanging from a tree drawn and quartered burned alive deaths and people are to pry that. apart the church and the state okay so so many europeans died to to pry apart the power of the church and the state because theocracies are very bad for human life very bad for scientific inquiry very bad for, say, getting Nobel Prizes and discovering new things about the universe and having quality literature and having women be relatively free. Theocracies are very, very bad uh, for the human condition as a whole, particularly if you enjoy the pastime called thinking and also living. And so given and, – and the church and the state have been separated for so long, and this is the tragic cycle of human history. The church and the state in Europe have been separated so long that people don't remember how dangerous it is. They've all forgotten, right? Because they don't study history the way I've studied history and so on. Most of them aren't. Why would they? Now, the Muslims coming in, what's their conception of the separation of church and state? Well, it's really not that hard to figure out. Just have a look at the Sharia law. Have a look at the Islamic teachings. Have a look at the Islamic countries. What's their idea of the separation of church and state? If they gain power, will they want to respect, if they gain, gain significant influence, will they want to respect the separation of church and state that tens of millions of Europeans gave up their lives to achieve? One of the crowning, wonderful, cosmic achievements of all human societies: separation of church and state. 
And so this is not a different culture, right? It's not the Musain's cult. It's not they pray to Mecca. There's nothing. Who cares? It's that do they respect and value the separation of church and state? And if they don't, you are literally inviting back bloodthirsty medievalism into your land. So the culture is not important to anyone with a brain, right? Any more than other people's musical tastes are or what kind of dances they like or what kind of foods they like. I could give a shit. I could care less. I don't care. However, when someone comes in with an ideology that depends upon the initiation of force, then you have a different situation on your hands, right? It's one thing to have slightly different rules for golf. It's quite another thing that says, whoever I strangle, I beat in golf, (laughs) That's not a slight alteration of the rules. That's a radically different thing. And so that, I think, is the the thing that is not being uh, understood. Right. So this this must also mean that if you you take this uh, person, let's say, from the Middle East who happens to be Muslim just by coincidence, they immigrate to Europe and they have this ideology that uh, they can spread their religion and their own ideology by force – at all cost, then, well, the only the only way you can have person like this immigrate to Europe is that they would first have to accept that they can't spread their ideology by force. They have to respect the rights of other people and all these other things. By uh, when this happens, well, they don't have their own ideology anymore, and then people come along and say, oh, you're xenophobic for making them behave like normal people. I mean, this is crazy. If I wanted to immigrate to, let's say, Sweden or United Kingdom or something like that and said, you know, I don't want to work. Give me welfare state. Give me benefits. They would be like, there's the door, man. Go away. Because I have a European citizenship. I mean, I'm a citizen of a European Union country. So they would do this to me. But they don't do it to the immigrants because they come and we can I use the term liberals here? I mean, for, for the people like who leftists? just, uh, yeah, maybe leftists, uh, who just say, Oh, look at them. They can't make, uh, their own living in their glorious country in the middle East. So they come here and we have to subsidize them because we were the bad Europeans who violated their own country or what nonsense are you talking about, people? Like, that's that weird, you know, that? because people say, uh, sorry to interrupt, but people say, well, you know, the Native Americans certainly didn't enjoy the Europeans coming and invading. And it's like, okay, let's say that that is all true, right? I, I have doubts about that whole narrative, but let's say it's all true. So shouldn't we learn that lesson and not let people invade who are really antithetical to our culture? Yeah. <laughs> shouldn't we look at the lessons of this and say, okay, maybe not? I mean, this, this is, uh, I mean, this, this entire idea is crazy it appears completely insane to me because i don't really have a problem fighting a defensive war against someone who just wants to come and slaughter my uh, my peers and take my land etc but why should i like pay someone to come here and take my land and potentially not slaughter because they probably won't be killing anyone right away i mean certainly most of them won't but the entire European culture and ideology as it is today, and as you correctly pointed out, in not only now, but in previous videos as well, that 
people have died to create this thing that existed from the Second World War to about the 1980s. And then this delusion started where people just said, oh, you know what? We've been so well for the last 40 years that we don't really have to work anymore. Like, really? And because we have this welfare state now, why don't we let other people who also don't want to work enjoy it? Let's come in. Let's everyone jump on the train. Like, no, that just doesn't work. I mean, the, the state debts of the European Union states are so insanely high that it's just never going to get paid. There are some countries like uh, Latvia or I think Finland or uh, I think Czech Republic is also fairly uh, doing fairly well, but like the rest, not so good. And just people are like, oh, you know, we have high debts and we have higher taxes than communist in air quotes China, but we are the free society. And when someone goes out there and starts to mention facts, that, that's the worst problem here, that you have free speech, but when someone dares to take out some facts that were done with research and say, hey, this might just be a correlation or just accidental, but I think that too much borrowing, too much welfare state, and too much inflation of uh, basically degrees and... Uh, how could we interact with this, uh, with this mess to kind of persuade people to start thinking rationally and uh, become accepting of the facts? Well, no, it's just, it's just tell the truth, right? I mean, these, these, this is the data. This is the reality. Like, so <clears throat> if, if, let's take an example of, of a, a, a free capitalist country, respects the free market, loathes communism as the vile stain on the human soul that it is. And let's say that there's a whole bunch of people who want to come and move into Libertopia, right? They want to come and move into the free, free area. Let's call it country just for convenience, right? And they're a bunch of communists, right? And the people in Libertopia know how bad communism is, right? Know that communists want to take over the political society to impose communism by force on everyone else, right? Right. So how would a free society deal with that? Well, the communists would move in, right? They'd, they'd come into the area and um, they, let's say that they had, they were openly identifiable as communists. Let's just take that for a moment and, and give me that for just a sec. So, because it's a way of explaining it. So let's say someone knocks on my door and they're a communist, right? And they say, I want to rent a room in your house. I'd say, sorry, no, Right. Like, try showing up in Tel Aviv dressed as a Nazi and trying to rent a room, saying, Heil Hitler, can I rent a room, please? And they will say, uh, no, uh, really, really, really not. I don't care if you're Prince Harry dressed up for Halloween. No. Right. So they can ostracize you. They can they can discriminate against you. Right. And let's say that then, let's do the Nazi in Tel Aviv, it's a little easier. So then, dressed in your Nazi uniform, you go to a restaurant in Tel Aviv and say, I'd really like to get a job as a waiter and serve these lovely Jewish people with a mustache on, giving them the Heil Hitler salute as they bring their gefilte fish out on a plate, right? And what would the, uh, what would the restaurant owner say? 
I assume they would it wouldn't work out and the restaurant owner just wouldn't hire them because it would be detrimental to their customers because the customers just wouldn't want to be served by a Hitler lookalike. Because well exactly. what the Hitler did. You got a scene out of faulty towers, right? And exactly. so and let's say that you then want to go to a grocery store and pick up a whole bunch of groceries and you could then walk up and down the aisles dressed as a Nazi and try and buy a bunch of groceries. What would the most likely Jewish store owner uh, do? He would say, get the hell out of my store, you crazy Nazi evil bastard, right? Before yes. I uh, insert this, uh, uh, this uh, zucchini in a place that might remind you of prison camp. So how would this Nazi do in Tel Aviv? Dressed as a full-on Nazi, walking around with a mustache, goose-stepping his way down the hot, uh, semi-desert streets. Uh, he would not, let's just say, be very successful in that society, and he would have to crawl back into whatever hole he came from before he came to Israel, right? Right. Because the Israelis would say, I have the right to refuse to rent a room, to hire, and to sell food to, and to provide services to, a Nazi. He right. would not be able to make it in that society because the Israelis, and rightly so, would have the right to reject him. Now, imagine this. Imagine that the Nazi, dressed up as a Nazi, go, comes to Israel, and the government starts giving him $2,000 a month and a free apartment and free health care, and any Jew who refuses to hire him can be thrown in jail. Okay, this is, this is like crazy. This is more... It's not crazy, it's than, Europe! I know, but like this is more oh, yeah, is delusional <laughs> than my wildest dreams. I mean, I can dream about flying on dragons, and it is more real than this, but yet it is happening. So, like, where do I live? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And exactly, rightfully so, as you said, when I go to people, present them the facts and say, look, this doesn't work. And they are like, uh, you're a xenophobe. Or in the better case, they just say, we don't get what you're saying. What am I supposed to do then? I mean, well, there is only keep, so much I, I can do. Say. You keep working. Right. Um, I'm not. Imagine this. Let's let's take one more scenario, just because this helps people. Like, you work on these analogies till it clicks for people, right? So imagine there's a Jewish shop owner, and the Jewish shop owner, some reporter, some Jewish reporter comes up to a Jewish shop owner and says, "Let me ask you." Suppose hypothetically that someone came in dressed as Hitler and wanted to work as a waiter. Do you think you'd hire them? And the person said, you know, in that situation, I'd have a pretty tough time hiring them. And then the Jewish restaurateur lost his license and had to close down his restaurant and, you know, was screamed at as a hysterical xenophobic racist from now to the end of time by everyone in the mainstream media. Can you imagine that? Well, that's gay pizzas in Indiana, right? This, this reporter went in and asked some employee, wasn't even the owner, it was the employee, said, uh, you know, would you feel comfortable baking pizzas for a gay wedding? He's like, not really. <gasps> ah, right? And then just massive negative repercussions. But this is how insane things have become. 
I I saw it when they when they started uh, confiscating property. Well, not really confiscating, but basically borrowing property from people for free to house immigrants in Germany. Like, like what, what right. are you doing, people? This is not, doesn't make any yeah, sense. Imagine in this situation, the, the Nazis are coming in and the Jewish government is kicking Jewish people out on the street to house the Nazis. Now, please understand, I am not comparing Muslims to Nazis and saying that they're directly equivalent, of course. But what I'm talking about is ideologies antithetical to the dominant culture. So this is how crazy things are. And I can't imagine that, um, I mean, e- even if you just say a whole bunch of young, blonde, blue-eyed, square-jawed German men want to move to Israel, like a million, um, <laughs> I think they'd be a little nervous about that, you know? So this, this forced association is the problem. It's the forced association is the problem. And forcing Germans to pay, forcing Germans to give up their housing at times, forcing Germans to fund, forcing Germans to hire, forcing Germans to work with, that is, that is going to end badly. That is going to end badly. The only way disparate groups can possibly coexist with any kind of peace is, is without a state in particular. And if you have a state, it's a state that does not enforce association, does not jam these opposing groups together. We are tribal animals. We are a tribal species. That's how we've evolved. That's how we are. That's why we have any kind of civilization. And when you start jamming disparate groups in together and forcing the dominant group to fund the new minority, what you're going to is you're going to uh, parents. You're going to parents and you're saying to those parents, you can't fund your kid's university because you have to pay for those six kids from Somalia. And if you disagree, and, and what you're doing is you're asking people to choose a different tribe's children over their own children. Now, I wouldn't expect the Somalis to have any different opinion than any sane parent would have, which is no, I'm not going to give up taking care of my own child to fund some stranger's children because this is my child. Genetic proximity preference is the very basis of evolution. Evolution doesn't work without it. And so if you go to parents repeatedly and you start pulling money out of their children's future and you start pulling resources out of their children's future and you start putting those resources into strangers' children's, you are creating an unbelievable powder keg. Because sooner or later, the animal instincts kick in and doors start getting kicked down. And that's what we want to avoid. Let's have multiculturalism. Let's have lots of different groups living together. That's totally fine. Don't force a goddamn person to interact with anyone else. Do not force association. Force association is a violation of freedom of association. Do not force people to associate. Do not sue them for not hiring the right people. Look, if there's a group in in town, there's, I don't know, like a 20-block radius in town that's Chinatown, and that's where the Chinese people live, and that's, you know, where they want to be, great. Now, if I want to go and live in Chinatown as a big-nosed, blonde-eyed foreign person, okay. I can go into Chinatown, knock on the door and say, I want to rent a room in this house. Chinese person's going to look at me and it's going to say, yeah. We all speak Chinese here. We cook with this stuff. We listen to Chinese opera really loud because we're masochists. And, um, you know, you're really not going to fit in here, right? That doesn't work. Well, should I run to the government and force him to rent me a room? 
Of course not. He's perfectly within his rights to not rent me a room if he wants to keep his building all Chinese. I mean, that's fine. It's his building, for God's sakes. Of course he can choose to do whatever he wants with it. And if I go to... (laughs) I remember when I was so desperate applying for work, I applied for work in a women's clothing store. And they kind of laughed at me, like, okay, we'll take your resume, (laughs) but, you know, don't expect a call, right? Um, You know, there's not a lot of women who want a guy with long hair and a beard selling them a bra. (laughs) You need any help with that? No, no, I'm fine. (laughs) Or do I? (laughs) So, they're perfectly, yeah, the female lingerie stores can hire women. Um, the, The Indian... Restaurant may not want to hire a bunch of Scottish guys wearing kilts. It might be confusing to people, right? Shouldn't I have something god awful with sheep's intestines rather than some delicious Indian food? Aye! <laughs> right? So let people be free to discriminate, and then I have no problem who lives with who. I have no problem anybody living with anyone. So if you. If, if I want to go and work in a woman's lingerie store and they say no to me and they say no to a bunch of other men, do we have the right to go to the government and force them to hire us? No, because all we're going to do is put them out of business and then nobody has a job. And so it's the lunch counter test, it's the church test, it's places where people aren't forced to integrate. They generally tend to segregate by ethnic group and in particular by race. We're a tribal species. Don't fight me. Don't get mad at me. The facts bear this out. And evolution bears it out. Do you like having a neofrontal cortex? Then don't get mad that we're a tribal species. This is just the way biology works. So when it comes to people moving and, you know, people get mad at me because it's like, hey, man, you're a libertarian. You're supposed to be open borders. It's like, okay, well, okay. But the problem is that right now disparate groups coming into a society result in the initiation of the use of force. And that's a problem. And uh, it doesn't work. It it does the opposite of working. And, um, I mean, 400-year history, obviously a lot of it traumatic. 400-year history of blacks and whites in America, how's it working out? Is it almost fixed? (laughs) Remember Obama was going to come in and heal the racial divisions of the nation and make everything great? And America was going to move to a post-racial society? How's that working out? Show me an example. I'm, I'm an empiricist. Show me an example where in a heavily interventionist state of society, two groups with opposing views or opposing ethnicities or dissimilar, I, opposing ethnicities is a, not a good way of putting it, uh, disparate or dissimilar ethnicities. Um, show me where it works. I'm, I'm an empiricist. I'm really happy to be proven wrong on this. And maybe I've missed something and I'm openly happy to hear it. But um, that's where I see that. Listen, man, I got one more caller. Do you mind if I move on? Yeah, sure. Uh, go ahead. I mean, I I call later if I have some more questions. All right, thanks, man. Great com- great comment. All right. Well, up next we had TJ, but TJ just dropped off. So, Steph, if you'd like to read his question, take a swing at answering it. Maybe he can rejoin the call or listen later. We can see. All right. Question from a listener. I see evidence and believe that society is heading for disaster and I expect it to be inevitable. I think that it would be a consequence of the decisions made by our society and that our only hope for species survival is rebuilding the fundamentals once the dust settles. So I guess my point is this. Do you agree that society as a whole is heading for a collapse and are we past the point of no return or what can we do to change our fate? 
No, I don't believe that we're past the point of no return because we have this magic new pixie dust of communal thinking called the Internet. And uh, I, of course, have um, more than a quarter million subscribers and we've got uh, millions of downloads and views every month. So I'm certainly pedaling as fast as I can to attempt to avert what sometimes seems like the inevitable. But no, I don't believe in determinism. I don't believe that there are inevitable consequences to any place in society. I think it is simply a matter of of willpower and people rising to meet the challenge of the time and people rising to meet the standards of the time. Yes, desperate times calls for desperate measure. We are so in we're in such desperate times as a species that we are turning to the most desperate of measures called telling the truth because that's all that's needed to save the world. Tell the truth and shame the devil is something that I was told when I was growing up. So I'm out here uh, many times a week telling the truth, bringing the data that makes people uncomfortable, bringing the arguments that make people enlightened, bringing the facts to bear that give people clarity. Give people the facts, they make the right decisions. Give people the truth and they are wise. In the absence of that, we are lost in a void and getting further and further away from reality every single waking moment. So I'm out here shouting my barbaric yawp from the mountaintops and rooftops of the world, attempting to engage the entire planet in a conversation of reason and evidence and truth and virtue. Through that process, of course, we hope to change the course of society. There's a hand on the wheel. The hand is truthful. The wheel is true. And we turn the vehicle's path from the oncoming chasm, volcano, destruction, whatever you want to call it. There's nothing inevitable in human history. There's nothing, I don't believe that human beings, a human society is kind of like a, a body, you know, oh, I've been smoking like crazy for 30 years and now I've got cancer, so quitting smoking doesn't matter, my fate is sealed. I don't believe in that. I believe that there's individual choice that everyone can make. You can make it, I can make it, everyone around can make it every moment of every day, barring some sort of monstrous brain damage or government education, but I repeat myself. We have the capacity to listen to reason. We have the capacity to listen to the truth. We have the capacity to make better choices. Every moment of every waking day, you have the choice to think, to focus, to communicate, or to fog out, to brain out, to video game out, to space out, to waste out, and all that. And there's nothing wrong with wasting out and spacing out video games once in a while, but we rest in order to work. We don't rest in order to avoid. So every moment of every day, you have the choice to bring truth to your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. You have the capacity to bring reality to the collective hive mind of human consciousness. And you can either bring reality and spend your life racing through a building, turning lights on, or you can detonate it by wandering away in indifference, at which point it would surely collapse in darkness and chaos and destruction. The salvation of the world is up to you. This is what the religious people say, that the um, fate of the world turns on the choice of a single man. That a single soul saved can change the whole world. You don't ever know what butterfly effect you can be the source of that can radically change the world. You never know who it is you're going to influence and what reality that you bring to bear on someone can change their mind, can change the minds of those somewhere else. There are people out there who have the power to change the world really powerfully, really immediately. They're only six people away from you in terms of people you know and people they know, the six degrees of separation theory. So you don't know. You wake up one morning and you decide to have a conversation with someone on a bus who's reading an article about the national debt. And you point out some basic facts about the initiation of the use of force, taxation is coercion, a free society. Maybe you have a contentious conversation. Maybe it's an interesting conversation. You don't know. 
maybe two weeks later, that guy mentions something at lunch. And maybe a week later, that guy mentions something else. And then maybe it hits someone who is such a fountainhead of genius that he's going to rise up like Justin Bieber on a high note and speak the truth to the world in a way that I can't do, in a way that you can't do, in a way that is so compelling and so positive and so liberating and so powerful that the world will change because you decided to have a conversation on the bus. You don't know what events you set in the motion when you tell the truth, even locally. Whisper it to your belly button, you'll die with the truth alone. But whisper it to somebody else and you set things in motion. Human brains are a series of dominoes. They get knocked over by the truth. That's not the right way of putting it, but you know what I mean. I'm not knocking them out. But human consciousness, we're all interdependent. We are an ecosystem of conflicting and competing ideas and arguments and perspectives and snarkiments and bitchiness and shit and all that kind of stuff. But there's whatever you inject into the collective hive mind of human consciousness can have a ripple effect you can't predict. A few people said a few things to me. Next thing you know, right? The drummer for Rush produced a kind of sound that a friend of mine liked. The drummer for Rush is a big fan of Ayn Rand. I started reading Ayn Rand because my friend recommended it. I started getting into philosophy. So that drummer for Rush, proud of me or not, who cares if he even knows me, set things in motion where I end up with a show like this. I may have ended up with a very different show. I may have ended up running for office, in which case I'd be using my God-given talents of <laughs> language for evil rather than for good. But that is the ripple effect. So he's writing some lyrics. He's doing some drumming. And Geddy is shrieking about hobbits in a higher-than-mortal-man voice. Next thing you know, I've got a philosophy show. And then I'm going to do something, and it's going to affect somebody else, maybe you. That person might have nicer boobs than me, and they're going to go out and change the world through that power of sexual charisma. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe they got what Taylor Swift calls hella good hair, and they're going to go out and do it in a way that I can't. Fantastic. More power. I will come and kiss the hem of their garment and help them move the conversation forward. So there is a lot of propaganda that you will always receive in this world. And the propaganda is, shit's going to happen and you're helpless. You are a fly on the windshield of life. You are a sunspot on the sun, not visible to the world. Don't believe it for a moment. The power that you have is nearly infinite because it is incomprehensible. Because the power to speak the truth, which you can choose, which you can will, is the power to set things in motion whose end we don't know. This can happen for good or for ill. Hitler's father regularly beat him so hard he went into a coma. Set things in motion. Ripples, dominoes, whatever you want to call it, the butterfly effect. Speak the truth and shame the devil. Speak the truth and assume you have the power to change the world. Because if you don't believe you have the power to change the world, that power is not in your possession. If you believe you have the power to change the world, you will do all that is necessary to save the world, which is simply to speak the truth. And that's all I had to say about that. Is there anything else that our fine listener wished to mention about this? Looks like he's dropped off again, so... All right. Well, have yourselves a wonderful night. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show, to help keep us in vittles and bandwidth lord knows that's kind of expensive <laughs> so freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show Mwah. thank you everyone so much i love you all to death and beyond have a great night we'll talk to you soon